0: As we've uh, done so often in the past, I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to the book of Romans. Romans, believe it or not, chapter 16, the uh, last chapter of this great book, and this will be the second to the last message in this uh, long series. Next week will be my last one. We turn today, really, in a lot of ways, from the facts of the gospel to the fruit of the gospel— to the most important thing in God's heart as to why He sent Christ to die in the first place, why we have the good news of the gospel, what the book of Romans is all about, the most important thing about the church as we're going to see today. We move from the facts of the gospel to the fruit of the gospel, from doctrines and precepts to people, (laughs) to people. We'll be looking at Romans 16, verses 1 to 16, and I'd like you to listen carefully as I read, read, because each name here is important enough, important enough for God to die for. It's what the church is all about, as we're going to see today, and that is not about the pastor, whether he stays or goes. It's about the people. Romans 16, starting in verse 1. I love these verses. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at Sancria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many, and of myself as well. Greet Prisca, and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. And also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Athanasius, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Eunius, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stacey's, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphanea and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Greet Philologus and Yulia and Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. You know, without question, that's got to be the hardest part of all when you think of leaving a church. If you've ever thought of leaving a church, if you've ever moved or had a transfer or whatever, isn't that the hardest part, that you're going to miss the people? I know it is for us. All the people will be leaving behind. Julie and I have felt a real lonely this, loneliness this week, a, 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 a fierce uh, loneliness over the last week or so since we decided it was time to go. And yes, we have decided to go. As I told the elders, it was last uh, Saturday night, the 40th day of our congregational fast, and as I told the Iron Hour men this uh, last Wednesday, as we d- just kind of brainstormed together about all this means, and next week will be our last, our last Sunday at DCC. Why are we going? Well, let me just tee up our passage for today. Today. Uh, in this way. We're going, you know, it's a long story. It always is, right? And it's been developing for quite some time. I think it began in a lot of ways anyway three years ago. And as you remember, many of you do, my sermons became a real issue with some people in the church. And I did my best to change, and I did change. And I learned a lot about becoming a clearer and a less complicated communicator. But increasingly, I felt that that I was compromising my call as a more prophetic uh, teacher of God's Word. About a year and a half ago, my leadership became an issue and also what kind of shepherd I am, what kind of manager, what kind of counselor, what kind of pastor, all of which I also tried to work on. Went through a lot of self-assessment, went through a, a formal coaching process, which was very helpful. Stretching, it was growing me in a lot of different ways and many areas of my many weaknesses, all of which was very good and I'll be forever grateful for those opportunities to grow. They were hard but good. But it comes to the place where you realize that while we can and should always be improving, none of us have ever arrived, right? And woe be to us if we think we have. But you can't become something other than who you are. That's the balancing truth, and which in some ways has been an issue ever since we came here five years ago. If it's not been one thing, it's been another. We are a very diverse body, and that's one thing that attracted us here. It's a wonderful thing, but there are many diverse expectations, of course. There's always a downside to every strength. And for a long time I thought, well, that's okay. That's what this church needs. That's the way I'm wired to be, to, to change my approach. It's nothing I can take credit for. It's just the way that, that God made me to change my approach depending on the needs of the situation at least according uh, to one of the most extensive personal assessments you can take. I took it a long time ago. It's one of the most expensive, too. It's called the Sima Profile. And uh, I just want you to know that all of this is not because I've not tried and I've only been able to do it because this is how he's wired me, period. What do we have that we did not receive? Here's how the Sima people summed up my approach to leadership. After a careful analysis of the needs that are apparent to you, you work at being what the circumstances require you to be. In this way, you become what the ideal calls for. You try to become what the ideal calls for. This has created both joys and difficulties for you (laughs) because it has called you out into new horizons your natural tendencies would not have moved you into, while at the same time it causes you to be what is needed rather than what was most comfortable and motivating for you. This has been my whole story ever since almost I was born, I guess, or soon thereafter. This tension will most likely always be at the center of your work in advancing the kingdom, which is best described as the tension to be managed rather than a problem to be solved. Because of this, the time you spend alone and one-on-one with the Lord is key to the health of your giftedness, and ministry, this flexibility in leadership approach, um, uh, situational leadership, as, Ken, uh, as Kenneth Blanchard called it, is what DCC needed for a time. But it was only for a time. And it comes to the place where if you try to, you know, that, that if you try to change what you fundamentally are, you'll end up like totally exhausted and spent, as I did, which won't do much of anyone any good. And so one of the reasons for my own 40-day fast way last fall, you guys didn't know this, of course I wouldn't share it publicly at the time, but one of the reasons was to seek God um, as to whether it was time, whether the chapter was finished, whether the season was over, time for a new season for us and for the, the, the church. That happens to every pastor, right, at one time or another. In every church. And he did speak powerfully through that 40 day fast. Uh, But it wasn't enough for me to, you know, given the way I second guessed myself, to know that I know that it's time to go. Maybe it was just little faith. I don't know. But there's so much at stake. And so, one of my personal reasons for this 40 day fast that we as a congregation did, that we just finished last Saturday, um, and the seven day fast that I did at the very end of those 40 days, was to confirm what he seemed to be saying last fall. And I'm telling you, never in my 58 years of existence, never has He spoken more prolifically nor more specifically than He has over the last 40 days, over the last six weeks. And that shouldn't be surprising because we had a whole congregation, right, praying and fasting. It's like he turned on the faucet of revelation uh, on day one and when all of us started to fast. And from the get-go, he turned it on and it stayed on from day two all the way to day 39. And then he turned off the faucet just as suddenly after day 40. Last Saturday, the day before Easter, when all of us stopped fasting. You know, I never journal, but I felt him prompting me to journal this fast. And now I know why. It was, it was so that we would never forget all that He said to give us direction for such a huge decision, huge for us, huge for you, so that we wouldn't second-guess it, so that we'd actually do it. I've never seen anything like it. There was page after page of really teeny writing, which I do when I'm really trying to concentrate, and really important things are being shown to me. Julie can't even read it, but I can, and it's going to go in the front of my Bible as a sure foundation. For uh, the way God has guided us, there was page after page of such clear guidance, so much so that not to leave would almost be disobedience. 90% of it came through His Word not just through random passages you know that you pick and choose based upon what you want to hear no it was through my daily reading schedule of two set passages from the new testament uh, the old testament one from the new the same schedule i've been following for years but this time the faucet was turned on through those three passages every day it also came through the council of otherwise went men and women both inside uh, and outside the church that felt i should go except for some of the elders and others who pleaded with me to stay among whom I count some of my closest friends to this day. Elders like Tim Morris, my skinning buddy, and Tim Sealing and Matt Dayton, our youngest elder, who I've grown to love and to admire. Just three weeks ago, Matt and I skinned Keystone. He wanted to go because he wanted to let me know why he felt very strongly that we should stay here. But realistically, for these all these other reasons, by then it was a l- too late, and the overwhelming weight of the guidance was on the other side. The guidance that came by listening prayer as I read his word and listened to what others said through providential circumstances that were just almost uncanny, by a realistic appraisal of what we have, of our own remaining energies and capabilities. It came by reconnecting with my parents at their graves in Colorado Springs. I drove down there last Thursday before making a final decision. They were the wisest and best of my counselors. And, but most of all, His guidance came through a daily flood, a veritable flood of messages from His Word. Through, through all these and more, He's spoken more fully and more clearly than I've ever seen, down to the timing of our leaving even. And the prevailing word, the urgent message, is not only that we need to leave, but that we need to leave sooner rather than later. We shouldn't drag it out. There needs to be a clean surgical incision that's more painful, perhaps, for some in the congregation, definitely more painful for us, but that heals quickly and both can move on with a new chapter. That's the healthiest. To leave sooner rather than later, because the work is done. What he wanted to happen is finished. And it's time now for the next chapter, both in our lives and in yours. I wrote down uh, page after page, and he seems to have spoken. So the question is, what are we going to be doing? Well, we're kind of stuck in Summit County. Fancy that. the Real problem, huh? Stuck in Summit County. <laughs> but uh, really, for the indefinite future, given the condition of the real estate market which honestly is one huge consolation because it means we don't have to leave all of you right away. <laughs> that we'll still be able to run into each other and share fellowship and other things. And so until things turn around economically, I'll be devoting myself to whatever I can do here to develop an income stream. And for me, it's going to start anyway by writing and, and maybe some speaking which is what my parents did in their retirement in Colorado Springs. After years of missionary work, I'll be trying to leverage somehow my 30 years of pastoring into a broader ministry of traveling and speaking along with writing like they did. Um, It's all but impossible, humanly speaking, to jumpstart that kind of ministry, but that's what I'll be doing. If it doesn't develop momentum soon, though, I'll try to find other lines of work until we can um, sell our home and actually go to another church or wherever God uh, leads us. I've also just finished a book, a book on heaven, that's going to press actually in just a couple of weeks. And uh, I've been working on it for about 12 years now. And I think it's time to let it go. It's like Winston Churchill said, a book is never finished, it's only abandoned. And uh, I think it's high time I abandon that thing. Just ask Julie. Um, I've been tinkering with it for so long. There are a lot of wannabe authors out there, and it would take a miracle for it to be a significant source of income. But I believe, I think, it's a calling, somewhat of a gift, and it's what he's given my hand to do for now. And so, like Paul said, I'm going to be doing that with all my heart, and we'll see if anything happens. But anyway, all that is by way of a prelude to what I really want to talk about today out of the book of Romans. And it's providential that we come to Romans 16 on this of all Sundays. We're finally in the last chapter of Romans where Paul concludes this great letter in a most fitting way, especially given what I've just announced to you. Because this is what we're going to miss the most. Bottom line of the church, the people. As it ought to be for you too. After next Sunday, we won't be attending the church here because we need to create room for the uh, the next senior pastor. But we sure hope we'll still be seeing each other uh, on a regular basis. We hope it won't be, you know, out of sight Sunday morning, out of mind the rest of the week. But Paul concludes one of the greatest theological treatises of all time, interestingly, with a list of people which we'll see as the best news that you could ever receive on the day when your pastor announces his resignation. That there's a whole treasure trove of people who are still here. We're just one of many. Stay with me and you'll see what this means. Interestingly, this theological treatise of Paul's doesn't end in a very theological way. No, it ends in a highly personal way. With these 16 verses that I just read of personal and heartfelt, touching uh, greeting. And because these verses are so untheological, many commentators have concluded that they're unimportant, uh, at least judging by how much attention they pay to them in their commentaries. It's like they feel they were kind of tacked on at the end, rather as an afterthought, and not really r- related to the doctrine that's most important that came before. And in fact, some liberal commentators say that Paul didn't write these greetings at all couldn't have? What possible relation could they have with what came before? They were added on years later, they say, by some redactor, though there's hardly a shred of evidence for this view. In fact, it's quite the opposite if you just have eyes to see and ears to hear what is so obvious in Romans. These greetings are inseparable from what came before. In fact, these verses are literally the climax of the whole book. Some men are educated into sheer ignorance. Most, most of you have probably seen the, the Snoopy cartoon or at least heard of the last line in the Snoopy cartoon where Linus tells Lucy that someday he wants to be a doctor. And Lucy said, you, a doctor? Huh, that's a big laugh. You could never be a doctor. You know why? Because you don't love mankind. That's why. Linus, who's finally aroused by Lucy, he shouts back, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. Thank goodness it wasn't just mankind that God loved. Thank goodness that the gospel is about individual people that he loved enough to to die for. And now here they are, a representative sampling of those people that the gospel is all about at the end of the book of Romans. These trophies of his grace, these jewels in his crown, these precious objects of his love, each one of whom God knew and loved by name. And so the apostle did too. We've been looking at the sincerity of Paul's passion for ministry that climaxes the book of Romans. Of his love for the people, the same sincerity that we've seen can make us the caring community that we want to be. We've seen so far that Paul demonstrated his sincerity in two ways. First, through his affection for the fellowship. Remember that three weeks ago, verse 23, I have had for many years a longing to come to you. We saw that there was the longing, and that when when there's the longing and the leisure just to be together, it shows that our love is real. The longing and the leisure just to be together, whether on hut trips or skinning up mountains or skiing down or, or coming to Iron Hour or whatever, it shows that our love is real, that it's really sincere. Then two weeks ago, we saw Paul's dependence on the brethren which is also behind his sincerity of love, out of which he asked them to strive together with me, as he said in verse 30 of chapter 15. Strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. We saw two weeks ago that there's this safety net of care that we call prayer in the body of Christ, one that we dare not go home without. And Paul knew it and how the knowledge of this necessity can unite us as a caring community in all sincerity. Just look at what prayer and fasting did for Julie and me. It gave us the certainty that we needed to make this decision. The bedrock certainty that our leaving is best for you and best for us, contrary to what it may feel like. And for this certainty, we'll be forever grateful, and we know where it came from. But this week we come to the third and the final proof of Paul's sincerity and ministry, and that is his devotion to the individual. It's the simple fact that there are so many people on this list. It goes on and on. We're going to see, uh, what we see is that genuine affection has an individual devotion because it's people, not just mankind, that Paul loved. Which is just what the church is all about. And God wants to open our eyes this morning through His Word. Not about the pastor, but about the people. It's what stands out most in all these 16 verses. Paul had a heart for people, a heart for the individual, for Phoebe, for Prisca, for Aquila, for Ephenitus, for Mary, for Andronicus, for Junius, on and on and on. Paul obviously had a lot of friends. He wasn't just a paid professional. You can tell that he had a genuine interest in people or he wouldn't have ended like this with a focus on one after another with all these terms of endearment on on what they meant to him. It's how he made these friends in the first place by focusing on them and not himself. Bottom line of true Christianity, loving each other and outsiders in that way. It's like Dale Carnegie said, he said you can make more friends in two months by becoming sincerely interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. Isn't that the case? That's, that's what Paul was communicating here. You could just feel their love being reciprocated back to them because he was so sincerely interested in saying hi to them and affirming them and encouraging them. Let me say it again. You can make more friends in two months by becoming sincerely interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. And yet most people do the exact opposite. If we merely try to impress people and to get people interested in us, our opinions, our convictions, our feelings, all the rest, we'll never have many sincere friendships, the kind that Paul had because of his sincerity of passion for the people by which he proved he was not just a paid professional. His love was real. In fact, it's rule number one that Dale Carnegie lists in his classic book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. How many of you have ever heard of that book or read it? A lot of you have. How to Win Friends. I read this book, uh, this very volume. It's the 68th edition. I I bought it 45 years ago. And uh, the number one rule that he lists in his classic book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, is become genuinely interested in others. This changed my life when I was in middle school. You can see how I used to write. Oops. You can tell it's an old book. Right? <laughs> I got to get this thing rebound. But uh, become genuinely interested in others. He says. It, he says it is the individual who is not interested in his fellow man who has the greatest difficulties in life. You know, it was my mom who gave me how to win friends and influence people back when I was in eighth grade, 45 years ago. And I gave this same copy to my son Cameron to read two years ago. And he just loves people. He loves thinking about how to relate to them. He just inhaled the thing. And by the way, a week ago Wednesday, Cameron and I graduated from the Dale Carnegie course on Effective Communications and Human Relations. It was part of our desire to continue to stretch and grow in some of the most important areas of life, and two of the most important are effective communications with people and human relations. It was three and a half hours every Wednesday night for eight weeks at the Omni Interlaken Hotel, and it relates directly to what we're talking about today, because these are universal principles that come out of the heart of true Christianity. Dale Carnegie Um, has the uh, largest global footprint of any business training company in the world. They're in 80 countries and 25 languages. These principles um, that we see Paul exemplify in Romans are, uh, 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 are all over the place. It's at the heart of everything, of the gospel, of what works best in business. Just read all the names in Romans 16. One of the things that we learned in this course is something you already kind of know as a pastor, and that is you run into so many people who can't stop talking about themselves and obsessing about themselves as though their perspectives and their desires and their preferences and their convictions were like the central necessity of the universe. And it's infiltrated the church as much as it has the culture. The opposite of this kind of love that Paul shows in Romans 16, a sincere interest in them. A while back, when New York telephone company did a study of, of a telephone conversations. It was, a free, it was a frequency check on words that are typically used in your typical uh, phone conversation. And which word do you think was the most frequently word used? One letter. Yeah. I-I. I, 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 ad infinitum, ad nauseum. It was used 3,990 times in 500 conversations. So, what's going on in your mind at a time like this? Me, me, I, 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 or my brothers and sisters? You may have heard of the, Garf- you heard the Garfield cartoon. Gar- Garfield's talking to teddy, his teddy bear, Pookie. Probably the only thing in the universe that would listen to him because Pookie, of course, couldn't talk. And uh, Garfield is a long monologue on Garfield's part, just talking about himself. And then he says, about April of 81, or was it 82, my voice changed and I started singing the baritone part. Next frame. Gee, Pookie, I'm tired of talking about me. Next frame. You talk about me for a while. <laughs> Isn't that it? It's like Brian Williams. He was the anchor of NBC Nightly News. He wrote a Time Magazine article called, and this says it all, called Enough About You. (laughs) He talks about the social media and a bunch of other things, what he calls the celebration of self in our narcissistic culture. Americans have decided the most important person in their lives is dot, 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 them. Right? And our culture is now built on that idea. It's the user-generated generation. It is now possible, even common, to go about your day in America and consume only what you wish to see and hear. There are television networks that already agree with your views, iPods that play only music you already know you like, Internet programs ready to filter out all but the news you want to hear. These days, it's all about you. But is this what we're supposed to be all about? He says that this celebration of self undermines the very foundations of our democracy. And so he says, Enough about you. We need a healthy interest in other perspectives, other viewpoints, and the other people to whom they're attached, lest we disintegrate as a society into so many special interest groups. We need that if we're going to survive as a democracy. There's more than meets the eye here in Romans 16. Paul wouldn't have ended this theological work in such a personal way if he wasn't the opposite, if he wasn't genuinely interested in others rather than me, 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 I, I, I. And a whole lot grew out of that in early Christianity, a whole culture, and ultimately a whole democratic civilization. The names were in his head because the people were in His heart. So what about you? I know a few of you are thinking about leaving DCC now that we're leaving. But I'm just me. And some of you may prefer me as a big mouth in the pulpit. But, you know, what about them? What about all the others you'll be leaving behind? What is the church to be about? Anyway, your preference for the pastor or your passion for the people? Just listen to the apostle. Listen to his passion for the people, his terms of endearment. I commend you, our sister, term of endearment, Phoebe. Greet Trisca and Equila, my fellow workers. Greet Iphenaeus, my beloved. Junius, my kinsman. Amphliatus, my beloved. Urbanus, fellow worker. Stacy's my beloved. I like this one. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. That's for all eternity is in the Bible. The approved in Christ. Apelles probably knew, that Paul probably knew that's exactly what he needed to hear. Maybe Apelles commuted some great sin and repented or something. He was saying, you're approved in Christ. Greet Perseus, the beloved. Rufus, the choice man in the Lord. It goes on and on. And he sums it up in verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. He had a heart for people. And he expressed that as he blew one holy kiss after another. And my prayer is that as a result of God's word and Paul's example here in Romans 16 that we would all understand how precious each one is who's a participant in the gospel, how each one of us is the whole point of the gospel the climax of the story. They all flooded into his mind as he thought about them in Rome. Phoebe, Prisca, Aquila, Ephenetus, Mary, on and on, Tim, John, Joe, Susan, up until this day, the ones in this room. For 15 chapters, we've been getting the facts of the gospel. And now in chapter 16, not coincidentally, the last Sunday before my last Sunday, we see the fruit of the gospel, the heart of the church. Oh yes, it's fitting that Paul should launch the conclusion to this book of Romans in this way by listing one fellow Christian after another. It's fitting that he should end such a theological work in such a personal way. It's fitting that his exposition of the gospel should conclude with the climax of the gospel by listing these 27 ones who are now his kinsmen in the faith, closer than natural kin, united by the blood of Christ into a forever family, trophies of His grace. It's fitting that we should come these these verses the week before we leave because that's what the church is all about not the pastors, not the elders not the, the preaching that was a hard one to get out not the worship, no, just like it was for Paul at the end of Romans, the church is all about the people At its most essential, the church of Jesus Christ is the very body of Christ in flesh and blood in the form of you and me. The most precious thing in the universe, in God's heart. A caring community of sinners saved by grace, each with their own story, together in one family. And so on this Sunday before our last, what I'd like you to do now is this. To do like Paul... To remember who you are and why you're here. To remember that the church is the people. And to do it in two ways. First, to do it generously as we take our benevolence offering. This is the third Sunday of the month. We'll have the uh, ushers come forward. Our benevolence offering for the needy among us and for outsiders. But the second thing I'd like you to do is to remember why you're here visually through the video that you're about to see. Okay? Because, you see, the list of names that Paul began at the end of Romans, the list of names that the church is all about, that list has been increasing, of course, to this day in the form of people like the ones that you're going to be seeing up there on the screen, people who are just like the people here at DCC. Trophies of His grace in the treasure trove that we call the church.